Welcome to the Lazy Women's Making It in Western Europe series, where we take you through the personal stories of young Eastern European women and their quest for defining the meaning of identity and belonging. Hi everyone, welcome to Making It in Western Europe, our new podcast series. So I have with me today, Catelyn Scher, MEP for the New Europe Group. Thank you, Catelyn, for taking the time and joining us. Thanks for having me. Hi. I was hoping we could start off with talking a bit about your work, what you're doing at a policy level to promote women's rights and push forward uh, gender equality. Well, you know, I, I think this is one of the biggest fights we women have in Europe and in the world right now, uh, to fight for our rights, uh, even for rights that we kind of took for granted a couple of years ago even. No, I represent a country where I feel there is a war on women. Uh, there is a narrative against women. There is an anti-feminist narrative gaining ground among the cycle of populist uh, men. Uh, this is a country where men have a very strong opinion uh, of what women should be and should not be doing with their bodies. And also, uh, this is a country where they are building a political capital on, uh, for instance, uh, refusal of joining the Istanbul Convention, which myself, as a woman legislator, frankly, I find it appalling. And I feel that uh, we are getting to a situation in Europe, in more and more countries, that national governments do not protect the rights of, uh, of women, of European women. And these women are European citizens, and we have to protect their rights at the European level. Uh, so this is why we have been advocating uh, for the European Union to join the Istanbul Convention as a whole, for instance, to have uh, hate crimes and violence against women classified as Euro crimes, so they could be prosecuted at the European level, no matter uh, which country uh, these uh, women or the perpetrators happen to be living at uh, inside the Union. Uh, but also, we have a very important fight ahead of us, and it concerns dedication. To, to these causes, because this is frankly also quite annoying here in Parliament that I, I very often hear that uh, colleagues very rightly say that helping women and helping causes uh, of uh, gender equality are very important, but then when it comes to the money, the financing, it is just not there. So, so this is another uh, battle we are waging apart from a better legal framework, is also a better financial framework. I'm a member of the Budget Committee, and uh, I've been advocating for gender uh, budgeting and gender mainstreaming in the EU budget ever since the beginning of the mandate. And uh, this is the only way I, uh, I, I believe we can advance causes of gender equality by actually putting finances behind the goals that we all share. So I will be one of the negotiators of the next year's EU budget, and I'm really hoping that I can use this leverage and this position to uh, fight for more um, opportunities and possibilities for projects advancing gender equality. Yeah, and I mean, being from Hungary, this is kind of personal for you as well, I would assume. And with the attitudes towards women from the governments in Hungary, can you tell me a bit more about just how it's personal and how your experience as a woman in Hungary has influenced your fights and desire to fight for women's rights? Well, you know, when I was really contemplating of uh, going into politics, uh, there 
was a code that really inspired me that I have to fight this fight. And actually, this is a code from Viktor Orban, which is a very funny thing to say. Uh, but he gave an interview where he very openly stated that, yes, well, politics is a very tough business. And he just believes that women are just not cut out for uh, this type of job, that women are just too weak to stand their ground in politics. And, and you know, that was this like final push for me. Like, okay, so I will show you. I will show you what I'm made of. Uh, so this was the <laughs> first thing that kind of pushed me on this path. And uh, I can just say that women are being underestimated quite significantly in Hungary. And... I'm not sure that this is paying off for the ruling elite on the long run, because through these very blatant dismissal of uh, of uh, women's rights and gender equality, there came a new generation of politicians, of uh, women politicians, who decided to, okay, so there is a countering narrative, there is another way of perceiving uh, our lives, our issues, there is a different way to, to fight for these rights that we believe uh, should be universal. And uh, I sincerely hope that this new movement of uh, loud women will eventually fire back into their patriarchal faces. Um, because it is just very difficult not to be angry as, as a woman in Hungary. If I just look around the rate of domestic violence, which is one of the worst in the European Union, and I pair it with the blatant rhetoric of uh, the government that, for instance, tries to portray uh, the Istanbul Convention as uh, some, you know, left-wing conspiracy against conservative countries, my blood is just boiling. There are women who are being abused, who are uh, being uh, threatened, uh, whose life is in danger, and they are not being protected just because there is this crazy, stupid political narrative that somehow women's health has to be politicized. But also I have another very personal experience that uh, which really inspires me to do more at the European level. And this is my, actually my previous job as a gynecologist. I, I used to work in a women's hospital and I, I, I very, very closely was able to witness uh, the challenges around women's health. So for instance, uh, the fact that emergency contraception is not available uh, in Hungary uh, as easily as it is in other European countries. You have to go to a doctor to have this basic healthcare system or at how abortion is uh, getting uh, more and more uh, classified as something that is shameful or that is something that is, uh, has to be hindered by legislators. I, I also see the public health dangers of, of these types of policing on women's bodies. And I, I think that no matter where you live in the European Union, we European legislators, we have to guarantee equal rights uh, for you to uh, enjoy the benefits of, of these health services as well. Some of the issues that you mentioned, like the oppression of women, violence against women, these obviously cause a result in migration from countries like Hungary, other countries in Eastern Europe, potentially to the West. And some numbers that I've found, um, Unfortunately, I haven't been able to find more recent figures, but by 2011, for example, there were 4.5 million migrants from East to Western European countries. And I'm sure by now that's greatly increased. So I'm just curious to hear what your thoughts are on the East to West migration and how that kind of impacts the countries where the migration takes place from and the Western European countries that are accepting the migrants. My mother told me once that 
if we weren't the members of the European Union, if uh, the free flow of people would not be allowed, then there would have been a revolution in Hungary like long before. And I think she's a little bit right. Not that I, I would wish that we, we, we uh, wouldn't be members of the EU. Of course, that's like great if, that you can move and that you can change uh, places and then you can live wherever you want to. But it's, it's a fact indeed that the people who are politically dissatisfied who want to live in a different type of uh, atmosphere, who want to enjoy more rights, more benefits, they just move. They vote with their feet. They, they go abroad. They find a new life. And uh, I mean, I'm happy for them, but that also means that uh, change is getting harder and harder because a lot of people who have determination and dedication to do more with their lives, uh, to fight for something, just uh, decides to change places. I, I think in Hungary, but also in, in the region, almost everybody knows somebody who moved. Uh, there are, I, I graduated as a doctor a bit more than 10 years ago. Oh my God, it's so scary to say that. And a great part of uh, my class works somewhere else now. Uh, there are entire regions in the country where people are, are not able to plan a future yet, so they change places. And this is very normal, and this is very human, of course. I just like, tend to think that why couldn't we create an alternative for them that... Uh, why do you have to move if you want to live in a European country, a European lifestyle? Why cannot we create a European lifestyle in Hungary? Uh, this is such a loss. And I'm very happy for those who find a better life abroad. But I just can't uh, help but to miss them a little bit. Yeah. And what are the attitudes in Western Europe? I mean, at the European Parliament, you encounter, obviously, a lot of different people with different views. So what's the general attitude from them towards migration from Eastern Europe to Western Europe? Mm. Well, I, I'm still a little bit of an optimist in that regard because the EU is, is of course, a project that encourages movement and uh, where countries are feeling and enjoying also the economic benefits of being constantly connected. So I, I really hope that most of my colleagues still see it as an opportunity and the possibility of a more thriving uh, union and a better exchange of ideas. No, no wonder that the most popular program of the EU is the Erasmus program, which like exactly shows uh, this type of diversity for everybody who takes part in that. And if you just look at the numbers, it is also very clear that, that connecting our countries really helps uh, also those where people go to. Uh, in a lot of industries, uh, in a lot of uh, fields of life, in culture, the exchange of people just really creates a lot of chances and possibilities. So, so I, I really hope that this far-right and extremist populist narrative that is gaining ground in some places will not be victorious over our joint feeling and sense of humanity and our joint sense of feeling of what it means to be European. So what does it mean to be European in your view? And how has your thinking on this kind of evolved or changed through your time at the parliament? Uh, for me, being European uh, means that being privileged enough to be able to live in the most democratic, uh, most humanistic uh, community that the world is providing right now. And this is a huge privilege also for somebody uh, whose mother uh, was born 
in a country that wasn't a, dem a democracy yet. My grandfather uh, was regularly taken away uh, by the police uh, in the uh, old Hungarian regime by, by the communists because he just happened to be a lawyer. He happened to be the so-called enemy of the system. They were the people who listened to the Radio Free Europe in their basement and they were like, you know, hoping to be a member of, of this community at one point to enjoy the benefits, but also to contribute. So, so for me, this is some sort of like a natural point of arrival. And this is why it's also, also very sad to see Viktor Orban, the prime minister of Hungary, abusing this fantastic possibility. Uh, this chance that the Hungarian people have been fighting for over so many decades. I cannot help but wonder how much could we give to this European project if we uh, were a constructive member uh, of it instead of being like always a problem child. Aww. Sometimes I'm just so sad when I think about how my country is being perceived at the rest of Europe because we are just so much more than the patriarchy and the homophobia and the hate and the corruption that uh, is being so widely associated with the Orban system. So I, I really hope that at a certain point, we in the Hungarian opposition will be able to show to the world that there are indeed a lot of people in Hungary who really enjoy being European and who are able to contribute to our, our community so much more than it is visible now. Looking at skilled migration overall, it's a topic that's discussed over and over again. And in December, there was agreement on the Migration and Asylum Pact. So I just wanted to know, kind of how do you think that pact will address some of the challenges related to migration? Or will it, in fact, at all? Well, I have very mixed feelings about the Migration Pact. Um, and we have to acknowledge that as we are a very attractive place to live at and also because we contributed actively of other parts of the world not being very good places to live at of course there are people who would like to move in our community and would like to enjoy the, the benefits of europe and, and I, I think it's like perfectly normal and uh and very natural and we should actually be proud of being so attractive uh globally uh, but that also means that we have to have unified rules as a community because what we have right now is that every country does their own thing. And there is a very, very wide range between these measures they are choosing. Because some countries, I think, do a quite okay job. But also there are countries where it is big politics to, you know, deny basic human rights uh, for people or to push people back to the sea or to... Uh, keep people logged up at detention centers at the border. So, so unified rules are needed in a way to provide uniform standards. And, uh, and this is why it's a very important agreement that so many countries could finally get on the same page. And although I have very big criticisms and reservations over some points uh, that this agreement has, as a Hungarian, I feel that compared to what we have now, it is still a huge improvement. Uh, so this is why I believe I, I will be supporting that in the voting parliament, because compared to how people are being received in my country right now, even this very imperfect new standard will be a huge improvement. Because you know that Hungary uh, is in front of the European court uh, 
or number of cases uh, because of the inhumane uh, conditions it provides for for people at the borders and and compared to this these new rules would still be somewhat of an improvement but i just really cannot understand uh why the european commission decided yet again to make deals over human lives uh, with countries which are not democratic which are not a good place to live at uh, where uh, we wouldn't be able to recommend with a clear heart to somebody who is fleeing uh, brutality or persecution to settle. So, so, so this is very problematic. And I have to say also the fact that the European Parliament was not consulted uh, over these decisions. This is a very mixed bag for me, but still like having no unified uh, regulation is, is, is untenable anymore. Yeah, it's also not working, but there's been quite a bit of criticism. As you mentioned, I mean, designated what's safe, seen as a safe third country for migrants, gave increased responsibility to some of the border countries and border procedures. These are the bits that have been criticized. You say that obviously you need kind of a unified agreement, a unified policy, but how would you respond to some of these criticisms, some of these challenges? I mean, what's the step forward now? I think that most of these uh, critics uh, are justified. So, so, so these are uh, right questions and, and right concerns to be having. I, I mean, I, I think what is needed is uh, to really monitor the situation uh, after it's being implemented and really guarantee that people have access to, to lawyers, to fair processes, that their cases are treated uh, in a fair manner, uh, that the country's authorities are not abusing the privileged positions they are at and all, that we also constantly monitor the situation we have with the third countries. I, I am very troubled, uh, really, because first I was happy that we are moving towards a joint European solution. And when I saw the details, well, it was certainly not something to be, be proud of. Uh, but, but still, like when I see the boats being pushed back to the sea, when I hear the news about people suffering, uh, at these detention centers and there is no unified European framework that can help them or that can create a joint framework. This is, is also very, very far away from the ideals I believe Europeans should be holding uh, themselves uh, at. So ahead of the European elections, there is this extreme surge of uh, anti-migrant sentiment in so many countries. And I feel that if we are unable to deliver on, on you know, somewhat of a European solution, the alternative could be so much worse. And how do you see this kind of impacting women? Because obviously, they're usually more vulnerable to some of the challenges of migration, gender-based violence, for example, in detention centers. So how do the current policies or the pacts impact women, asylum seekers and migrants, in your view? Well, it's very important to have a gender lens in everything, uh, and particularly on situation when people are on the move, uh, when people are in uh, dangerous situations. Also, if we think about why certain people decide to leave their countries, uh, why they decide to embark on, on this uh, enormous journey and, and what they experience in the meantime. I mean, the experiences of women are, are, are just so different. And, and it is like so important to have uh, help ready when they arrive to the uh, EU, that they are treated in a respectful, uh, attentive manner, that they have you know services that they need, that they 
have uh, public health uh, possibilities uh, to to use and that, that their trauma is acknowledged and if they need assistance uh, they will get it mm. i i just remember that it was a very crushing story when the war in uh, ukraine broke out and then the ukrainian uh, refugees many of them who fell victim of uh, gender-based violence uh, managed to flee Ukraine and arrive to Poland. And then they were faced with a situation that uh, abortion is not available um, in, in, in Poland for them, not even if they had a terrible life-changing situation of, uh, of sexual violence. When I read the reports with those women, I really felt that the EU has failed them in a way that... Uh, they were seeking a service that was available for them in Ukraine before, and now we cannot provide them. So this is why it's also important to have better uh, legislation in the EU in regards to women, and that uh, these services are accessible for everybody in every country. Okay, well, thank you so much for taking the time. This has been really informative. It's been really great talking to you and getting your views. Thank you very much for having me. Funded by the European Union. Views and opinions expressed are however those of the authors only and do not necessarily reflect those of the European Union or the Directorate General of Communications Networks, Content and Technology. Neither the European Union nor the granting authority can be held responsible for them.